Hello, you jolly fondlerys, you bent Declans, you ten-foot Antoinettes. Grease your feet on the communal lard. It's time for the Blind Buy podcast. If this is your first podcast, which I suspect it may be, because there's a lot of new listeners every week, if it's your first podcast, do you know what? Go back to the very, very start. Start from the beginning. That's the best way to do it. The podcasts are not uh, time-stamped. What's the word for this? Just go back to the start, you cunt. How are you getting on? Have you had a lovely week? Um, last week's podcast... Do you know, last week's podcast was good crack. I was terrified putting it out because I thought you wouldn't be happy with it because it wasn't particularly prepared. It was just me riffing on uh, a story about Boyzone and how we wrote a song about Boyzone based on a real experience of uh, seeing a man masturbate in front of half of Boyzone in Edinburgh. But yeah, I was sick. I'd have bastard of an ear infection a really nasty ear infection two two weeks i've had two weeks of uh illness not particularly bad illness but just enough to um enough to to kind of take the wind from underneath my wings you know i haven't been doing much i'm only recently back running and going to the gym my ear is fully cleared i've uh done my antibiotics and my fucking steroids and whatever but for for those asking, because I did, thank you very much for all the lovely messages last week, people concerned about my ear. But uh, yeah, I no longer have an ear infection. However, it's uh, temporarily weakened my eardrum. So I don't have proper hearing in the right side of my head. And it's going to be like that for about two months, I think. It's like, when when your ear gets sick... Your ear fills up with fluid. This then stretches and puts pressure on the eardrum. And then when the fluid goes away, the eardrum is like, I don't know, a baggy condom. It's like a condom. A condom that's just shorn from a flaccid penis. Uh, so it's kind of wobbly. So it doesn't have the tension that an eardrum should have. So I haven't got proper hearing on the right side of my head. Which is quite unpleasant. Because, as you know, I fucking love music. I love listening to music and making music and producing. And I've been trying to sit down in my studio. And like when I when I listen to music, if I'm really actively listening, you know, I'll stick my head right in the middle of... Like, I, I find what's called the sweet spot. Two speakers and you find that spot right in the middle where the sound converges and you can hear music perfectly. So, I'll do that if I'm actively listening to music, we'll say. Um, not only to enjoy it, but, like, if I'm trying to figure out why a song is so good, or if I'm trying to figure out how to replicate a drum sound, I'll listen to music in this way. And I haven't been able to do it, because I don't have proper hearing on the right side of my head. So, there you go. In the past week, I've become acquainted with two stray cats... Out the back of my studio, um, yeah, just two little strays. They're they're neutered, 
I think because their ears are clipped, but they're most definitely wild cats. Uh, they don't have socialization skills and they just look kind of like th- it's a brother and sister cat, you know, two white cats, brother and sister. And now I don't know why I know that. I can, I just feel it, you know. They both look the exact same. They're about the same age. And they seem to have this brother-sister relationship. But, yeah, the, like, the, the the male cat, he's a big tom cat, you know. And there's this deep sadness in his eyes. But you can see behind it there's um a real gentle kind of sweetness to him, you know. Like, he's got scratches and shit all over his face from all the fights he's gotten into. And he's just weary from being alive. Because it's tough for cats. It's tough for cats who don't have an owner, you know. And there's a field at the back of my studio. And he, him and his sister, they just sleep there. Because I've seen him over the summer just sleeping on the ground, you know. So, I've started feeding them the odd bit of food. And then what I did is, because it's freezing outside, I made a little, uh, just like a little little hutch, like a little wooden hutch, you know, a covered thing, and I put some old clothes on the inside to make a bed, a covered bed, and they're both using it now, which is fantastic. I lo- it's, just, it's just a good feeling. I like going to bed myself when it's freezing cold outside and knowing that those two little cats aren't sleeping in a freezing field that at the very least they now have a bit of shelter and warmth but they're weirdos the the male cat first off there's plenty room in the shed for the two of them but they don't go in there together because they're too paranoid about being inside this enclosed space so they appear to sleep in turns right but what happens is that first off the male cat the brother He's the dominant one in the relationship. So what he does is he goes in for a sleep most of the time and then his sister, she just lies outside the door of the hut and stares into his face the whole time and growls at him. So he's not even getting quality sleep. They're in this continual fight over who gets to sleep in the bed. Then the sister is a little bit more charming. He doesn't have... um, He's definitely not socialised but there's, there's a sweet gentleness to him. His sister's a tiny bit more charming. She'll come up to the window and meow at me and stuff or do this when they want food. And then he gets embarrassed when she does that. And then he lashes out at her. So it's this very funny, complex relationship that the two cats have. But again, I'm. it's just a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling. I think what it is, it's, it's recognising my agency as, as a thinking sentient being recognising my agency to be able to improve their quality of life do you know what I mean it's like there's two little stray cats outside they look they don't look too well fed they don't look too happy a few small choices from me can make a massive impact in their life so I get a kick out of doing that so that's what I've been doing the past week uh, a, b- a bit of animal husbandry. Oh, that's not husbandry, is it? Husbandry is when you... What the fuck is animal husbandry? 
I think it's when you get when you get cows to have sex with each other. That's not what I've been doing. I've been looking after cats. But anyway, yeah, looking after the cats and doing that small little, that small little act of of kindness, you know. Um, and you know, every podcast I usually end every podcast by asking ye, you know, for the week ahead to tr- be compassionate towards yourself and to try and be compassionate towards other people. If you can, just little acts of soundness that you can do to improve the quality of life or happiness of people around you. Just small little things. And the reason I kind of promote this is, I've said it before, as humans we're ultimately selfish beings, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, We're social creatures, we're social animals. I don't believe true altruism exists for human beings. I don't I don't think that's the case because we're social animals. And there's nothing wrong with that. By which I mean if you want to I don't know, do something nice for a friend. If you want to work do some charity work or contribute to a charity or do these nice things ultimately it's a selfish act because we're doing this to make ourselves feel better so those two cats out the back you know i'm helping them because it gives me a sense of personal meaning makes me feel good it doesn't mean i'm yeah i'm being self it might that act of selflessness is ultimately a selfish act but that doesn't necessarily mean that that selfishness is bad. So it's um, it's recognising that responsible hedonism of just being a human. We're social creatures. Um, to improve the world around you is what humans do in our social structures. But it got me thinking more and more about... Like, there's a thing that bothers me often, and I've spoken about it in previous podcasts which is how it's almost impossible right for any no matter how good we are in our daily lives no matter how much we try and help other people no matter how much we try and better our communities ultimately it's impossible to live a truly uh, ethical kind life like your man the Buddha you know if the Buddha was around today He'd be fucked. It would be impossible for the Buddha to live a life of pure compassion because somewhere along the chain of his existence, his his very life requires the suffering of something else, right? And that's the modern 21st century condition. So, for example, a couple of weeks back, there was a podcast episode called Sugar Push, which was about the it was about the history of sugar and how sugar drove the North Atlantic slave trade and it's about it was about how today you know we all use smartphones and laptops and technology and how even using even even listening to this podcast you know how it requires blood in order to survive Because phones are made from... Like, phone screens and laptop screens are made from conflict minerals. 
which are essential minerals that come from uh, the Congo in Africa. And in order for these things to be cheap, to go into all the phones, child soldiers, child slavery, all this horrible shit goes on in the mines where these raw materials are taken out of the ground, you know. So even having a fucking, waking up in the morning and checking your fucking phone, that very act is an act, ultimately an act of cruelty that exists off the back of the suffering of some human somewhere in the world. So I often struggle and battle with just the reality that to exist in a developed Western country, to simply be alive and live your life, is dependent upon human suffering somewhere else. And I got thinking, like, Sometimes when I can't figure out what the crack is with the world, I imagine if there was aliens on Mars and they were looking at us with a telescope, what would the aliens say about humanity? And I came to this kind of, this hot take. You know, it's hard for us, it's hard for us to to analyse this because we live on the earth, you know, we're too entrenched in, in the systems of humanity to have um, an accurate self-assessment. So I would imagine if there was Martians with a telescope looking at Earth and they had to write kind of a report on what the humans are up to. Like, you know the way you can look at a, a colony of ants or something and you can see, oh, there's loads and loads of ants and there's a few ants and they're doing fuck all and there's a load of ants then around it that are doing loads. I think if Martians looked at humankind, at the earth, and had to do a report, what they would say is, there appears to be between 1 and 5% who are operating as a type of enhanced human. These are have supernatural abilities... And then the other 95... They have a parasitic relationship with the other 95% who do all the labour. And this small minority of enhanced humans achieve their enhancements at the expense of the vast majority of humans who are operating at a regular level. They kind of... They suck the life out of the majority. Now, when I say... Enhanced humans. I'm not referring to one group of humans being better than the other. You know that's uh, it's not some mad type of Nazi ideology with a master race. What I mean is through luck and advantages and colonialism and all of this, the Martians would see one group of humans kind of outperforming the evolutionary expectations of the human animal but at the great expense of the vast majority of other humans a relationship that isn't too far unlike sticking your head into a beehive and you just see one big fat bastard queen doing nothing and then a 
big load of worker bees all around it doing all the labor so who are this this one percent we'll say well it's anyone living in in a developed country so now when we think of one percent because we hear about the one percent you know if you're from ireland or another developed country when i say to you one percent you're probably thinking oh yeah billionaires fucking bill gates elon musk no again from the martian looking at earth the one percent is anyone living in a developed country even someone in a developed country who is in poverty they are part of the one percent because of their simple access to kind of amenities so i am the one percent you are the one percent the 99 percent are people living in what are known as developing countries or third world countries like roughly 5 billion people live on less than $5 a day so again back to this enhanced human idea that the Martians would see and what I'm kind of trying to get at with it so let's just take life expectancy Humans in, if you take, we'll say, Paleolithic times, or even just the Bronze Age. Bronze Age is, um, I think it ended ended about 4,000 years ago, I think, right? Human life expectancy in the Bronze Age was 26 years of age. The average human lived to be 26, okay? So that's the bare human animal, as we evolved, were supposed to be 26, Today in the developed world, the average life expectancy is, it varies, between 70 and 90 years of age. So that's three times the life expectancy of what a human is supposed to live to, okay? Now why is this? First off, the biggest one is obviously infant mortality, right? Humans are kind of strange in that... In our natural state, we'll say take it back to the Bronze Age, infant mortality is very, very high in the human animal. It's somewhere, I think it's about 50%. The reason being is when uh, we're Homo sapiens, when Homo, no, I think it even goes back further than that. I think it's like even Homo erectus. But there was an evolutionary trade off, basically, right? So. In order for humans to be able to walk upright, it it meant that our hips needed to be narrower, okay? Now, the reason upright walking was so important to early humans or hominids, you have to go back to Africa a couple of of million years ago. So, Africa would have been grasslands and plains, and the first hominids, our ancestors, started standing upright they had an immediate advantage because they were able to see over grass. Okay, if you've got these vast grasslands, as well as that, the climate was changing at the time too, so humans got out of Africa. Humans went on vast, and there wasn't, man, I think it was a bottleneck of about nearly 2,000 humans, but humans anyway needed to get the fuck out and 
walking upright was an as advantageous because you could see above vast plains of grass. Also, our brains were developing massively. The use of tools became essential to being a human. When you're walking on two feet, you've got a pair of hands to manipulate and play with tools. If you're hopping around on all fours like a monkey, you have to stop if you want to fuck with tools. It just, two feet is better for long distance exploration. So this was a huge evolutionary advantage to humans. But again, like I said, the trade-off was narrower hips. Now the other thing too, the one thing that sets humans apart from all other creatures is gigantic brains. Okay, our brains are ridiculously... There's no, no no competition from any other animal regarding the size of brains, okay? All humans are essentially born premature. Like, a giraffe comes out of the fucking womb and it's able to walk in a half an hour. It takes six months for a human to be able to walk. Like, humans are born premature. Humans are born completely fucking helpless. With these massive heads. So. The human body. Isn't great at actually giving birth. And that's why like I said. The natural state is. An infant mortality rate. Of something like 50%. That was an evolutionary trade off. In the developed world. Because of advances in technology. Medicine. Infant mortality has dropped by 70%. More or less. In the developing world. Infant mortality rates are. Not as bad as paleolithic paleolithic times. But they're still. Absolutely terrible. The highest rates of infant mortality in the world today. Are in like. uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan, The Congo. Somalia. Mali. So the Martians are looking at this one minority. With a, a three times. Enhancement. And the ability to live longer. And then a huge majority who don't have access to this enhancement. What else is causing the small minority to be able to live to the enhanced age of three times longer than they were supposed to live? Well, kind of basic diseases that you and I completely take for granted. Um, diarrhea do you know like throughout human history diarrhea is a killer an absolute killer it's it's severe dehydration that'll take you out in a week Um, because of our in, in developed countries our, we take for granted that we have access to clean water which we do we can have clean water whenever we want. We can hydrate ourselves. A dose of diarrhea for us is merely an inconvenience. In parts of the developing world across Africa, it's killing millions of people a year because they don't have access to sanitation and clean water. So, again, that is an enhanced ability that a small minority have access to clean water. Malaria. Um, malaria kills millions and millions of people in developed countries malaria isn't an issue we can either protect against it easily with a prophylactic like tonic water 
or when malaria does hit, there's drugs that can treat it. But for the majority of humans on the earth, as the Martians would see it, malaria is killing millions. Tuberculosis is another one that's unheard of, practically unheard of in, in the West in the past 50 years, killing people all over the developing world. HIV, a relatively new disease, it's only 40, 50 years old. But HIV in a developed country is now a manageable disease. The treatment is incredibly expensive. It's often subsidised by governments, but in Africa, HIV is killing millions. The, I believe the country Swaziland, I think, has the lowest life expectancy in the world because the levels of HIV are so high and there's no access to any treatment for it. So just these things that we consider to be absolute givens, you know, basics, clean drinking water, access to medication, access to doctors, the ability to wash ourselves, the fact that we have sewerage systems, the ability to wash our hands, all these small things that are just a given in existence for 99.9% of people in, in a developed country, these things are actually huge enhancements to our existence as, as human animals and they should be viewed as utter privileges because we are the minority and the majority billions of people in developing countries they don't have access to these things and that's reflected in the mortality rate and the life expectancy now here's the thing and you know the again to take it from the point of view of the Martians the Martians are looking at us trying to figure out right what's the crack what's the dynamic who are these small that this small amount of enhanced these, these humans that are appear to be operating at an enhanced level what's going on here and what's the deal with the parasitic relationship that they have going on with the majority of humans who, are, who don't have access to these enhancements like I'm using the word developing countries a lot now I'm only using that word because that's what we have established to when I say developing country ye know what I mean you know, or same with third world. You know what I'm talking about. Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, fucking the majority of equatorial Africa, parts of South America. You know what I'm talking about there. But the term developing is even wrong because what it does is it, it suggests that, like, okay, we're, we're grand in our developed country with our sanitation and our water and our healthcare. To say developing suggests that the developing world just needs to catch up and they'll be grand. That's the great lie. That's not the case. We have a parasitic relationship. The reason that clean water, plumbing, sanitation, healthcare are a given for us in the first world is because of huge amounts of wealth and resources. The wealth and resources of the developed world, quote-unquote, only exists because the, that wealth 
and those resources have been mercilessly and continuously extracted and stolen from quote unquote developed country or developing countries. Do you get me? So this developed developing is harsh shit. Realistically, there is no developing. These countries exist in a system where we we parasitically steal and drain from them in order for us to have our enhanced human abilities. And that's what David Attenborough, the Martian, would be saying in his documentary. And that's the lie we're telling ourselves. They're never going to be developed, not under this system of gross inequality. If Martian David Attenborough was to ask, how did this come to be? The answer is simply colonialism, okay? The great European colonizers, right? Fucking Britain, France, Spain, Portugal, the Dutch. They plundered Africa, South America, the Middle East throughout the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. And even though those colonies are now technically gone, right? That's just an illusion. The plundering and inequality that the that colonizing achieved that still exists. The resources are still being taken. The countries just have the illusion of being independent. And half those countries aren't even real. Like like the the Middle East is just made up. Like the Sykes Picot Agreement of nineteen sixteen carved out half those fucking the territories between French and British interests. Same with Africa. The colonizers decided what each country was called and what it is. That means nothing to the actual tribes and the people that were living there. It's it's a complete social construct. So over the last couple of hundred years, the the vast majority of, of natural resources that allows the developed world to be so wealthy comes out of the continent of Africa, right? Minerals, ore, chemicals, mostly from Africa. South America too, absolutely stripped and continuing to be stripped of natural resources, um, in particular for pharmaceuticals. That's what gives us our access to healthcare. Middle East, of course, you've got your oil. And then, in a contemporary sense, the likes of your Pakistan, parts of India, that's where a lot of the human resources come from. So, what Martian David Attenborough would say is that the quality of life that you and I, in the 1% that we enjoy, our enhanced humanity, our incredible health, our great nutrition, our warmth, our long lives, okay? These things are incredibly expensive. But we don't we don't ex- we experience them as a given, but they're actually incredibly expensive. That's why we're the 1%. But the trick that our culture is playing on us is we don't actually see the value of it. The expense is completely hidden from us. The expense is 
and you know the expense is in Africa the expense is in Pakistan the expense is in fucking Chile or Honduras do you get me we've hidden that expense from us so we're not actually seeing that we're paying a lot of mo- a lot is being paid for our fucking enhanced humanity just we're not paying that bill we're paying a tiny part of that bill that bill is being paid by the people of these developing countries with their lives because we have a parasitic symbiotic relationship with those places and I'm only talking about the basic stuff sanitation health stuff like that I haven't even broached the subject of our luxury existence because again that's what it is even if you're listening to this in a tiny little flat and you've trouble paying your rent you and I live a luxury existence we live as kings when it comes to the overall standard of the world Martian David Attenborough is looking at you and sees you as royalty right now I can tell you whether you know it or not you and I and every member of the developed world we each own about between 60 and 70 slaves okay and I didn't pull that figure out of my arse that is what human rights groups when they look at all of the products that we consume in the developed world and what goes into making them we each own between 60 and 70 slaves there are people in bonded labour in slavery so that you and I can simply exist do you eat chocolate? chances are if you eat chocolate you've got quite a few slaves working for you and I know there's certain chocolates you can say that they're fair trade or whatever but the chocolate the cocoa industry uh, relies heavily upon slavery Um, the developed world's demand for chocolate is massive cocoa should be quite expensive it isn't expensive why is it not expensive? because slaves are used to harvest cocoa like Mali for instance um families sell their children into slavery to cocoa plantations for like 30 quid now why why is a family in Mali selling a child for 30 quid to make my chocolate bar because that family in Mali what can they do with 30 quid 30 quid to them is like getting a mortgage they want 30 quid so that they can have access to basic diarrhea medication that you and I take for granted we've spoken about electronics my smartphone, my laptop you know uh, something I went into deals and bought for 5 quid a fucking charger or something how does that work? the resources and the minerals the conflict minerals that are required to make this piece of electronics they come out of artisan mines in usually around the Congo these are run by warlords they rely upon child slavery again in order for the minerals to be extracted they rely upon child slavery so that the minerals can be cheap 
These minerals are then brought to China or to Bangladesh or to Pakistan. They're manufactured into electronic products, again using slaves in order for this to be done. And this exists so that the iPad or the smartphone or whatever the fuck that you and I buy is affordable so that it's under a grand. Because if it was to be truly fair at all parts of the process, we probably wouldn't be able to buy our smartphone. Our smartphone probably should be prohibitively expensive, but it isn't. Do you own affordable high street clothing? We all do. A pair of jeans for 50 quid, a top for 20 quid. These are manufactured uh, often in places like Bangladesh and Pakistan using slave labour. Why? So that we can own a jumper for 20 quid. Jumpers really shouldn't be 20 quid, but they are because of slave labour. Rubber, the tyres on your car, the soles, the soles on your fucking, your runners. A huge amount of rubber comes from Liberia. Liberia is a country in Africa with a problem that, with corruption. Uh, rubber plantations use slave labour. Cheap food products that use palm oil, which is a type of oil that's incredibly cheap. Why is palm oil cheap? It's grown in like Indonesia and Sumatra and Borneo. Massive amounts of forests are just stripped away. Palm oil is grown there. Again, huge amounts of slave labour is used in extracting the palm oil so that this vast quantities of it can be shipped to the developed world so that we can live a luxury lifestyle without actually being aware that we are living in luxury. Shrimp, shellfish, fuck ton of that comes from around Thailand, Southeast Asia. Slave labour is used in the fishing industry so that we can have cheap shrimp. And then aside from, we'll say, actual slave labour, there's a load of products, completely unethical, that we're not aware of that don't use slave labour but have massive detrimental uh, and violent repercussions for communities in developing countries avocados avocados shouldn't be as cheap as they are but they are a huge amount of avocados because avocados have exploded in the past 10 years you know because they became very popular as a healthy food but a huge amount of avocados come from Mexico. The Mexican drug cartels, the same people that are fucking murdering, destroying communities, shipping cocaine around the world, they've got a huge foothold in the avocado industry. They profit massively off it. They um, burn down plantations and grow there so that avocados can be grown there. To the point that in Mexico... Cities and regions have had to set up militias to protect themselves, to protect the avocado industry from drug cartels. Another product is quinoa. Quinoa is, again, a very hip, trendy superfood, as they call it. Quinoa is a, is a staple food to people in Bolivia. The people of Bolivia have been eating quinoa for thousands of years right and their relationship with quinoa is kind of like the Irish's relationship with the potato in the 18th century 
that's their staple food. Quinoa has a full amino acid profile. You can pretty much live on just quinoa and be grand. The Irish lived on just potatoes for many years and we were fine because it will give you all of your nutrients. But quinoa started getting incredibly popular and in vogue in the past 15 years. So now the people of Bolivia can no longer eat quinoa. All their quinoa is being exported so that it can be sold to developed countries. They're now priced out of it because of demand and there's people left without food. Olive oil. You know, uh, olives themselves, I think, are produced within the EU um, ethically, but the olive oil trade has been massively infiltrated by the mafia. And 70% of the olive oil that we consume in supermarkets is counterfeit. It's mixed with other oils. But the same kind of... The same lads that are counterfeiting the olive oil are the same people involved in human trafficking. I could go on and on and on with a list of everyday products that we use that are dripping in blood. It is basically impossible to exist in a developed country fully ethically. You own 60 slaves. I own 60 slaves. That's the way it is. And our society has us completely sanitised to that knowledge. We don't know this. You know, you're probably listening to this podcast going, fuck off, are you talking out of your hoop, blind boy? I'm not. We just, this is uncomfortable information. It's cognitive dissonance. If the developed world was a person, it'd be someone who's smoking loads of fags and then trying to eat healthy at the same time, thinking it'll be grand. Our system exists because of huge, massive inequality. We are a parasite. And that's how the Martians would see us. How does all this happen? It's a system. It's a complex system. Um, First off, our culture and our religion is consumerism. Since the past 150 years, less maybe 100 years, the culture of the developed world is to try and medicate any form of emotional discomfort with purchasing things. That's what drives this. Um, It's enabled by corporations combined with corruption so this idea of justice and this idea of fairness and equality that too is a luxury that a luxury illusion that developed countries get get to get to have like massive massive corporations who are making our chocolate making our clothes making our electronic products these corp- corporations, they get to be ethical up until a certain point, and then a, a certain point in, in the chain of production, and then they reach a point where they just go, I don't know. So, when it comes to where did you get the minerals for your laptop, the company gets to go, I don't know. 
we spoke to we spoke to some lad who's uh, he's he, he's like he's in Congress in Liberia. He's a Liberian politician. We spoke to him and he told us that these minerals were all right. Or we spoke to a dude in Pakistan, and the lad in Pakistan said that you know he's not sure, but he he, he told us that these clothes are fair trade. So the corporations are ignorant up until a certain point, and that's what enables this. But the corporations know well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be getting these things for so cheap. They just can legally deny it within the laws of the developed world to allow this to continue happening. And ultimately, the only solution is that the current system the current system can't operate. The, there's too much amenities that we have access to that we consider to be a given. And these things, the, the true value of them, they're very, very expensive. Healthcare, clean water, sanitation a wardrobe for the clothes these things used to be just something that kings had something that the nobility had you know in medieval times a king might have 10 pairs of pants or a lord would have 10, ten pairs of pants and that lord would have maybe 150 serfs who were essentially in servitude to that lord they were the ones growing the cotton or making the pants or doing whatever the fuck we've just taken that system of serfdom essentially but made it so big that we can't see it unless you're an alien on Mars looking at us with a telescope so it would mean the developed world having to really take a step back in our standard of living in order for true equality to happen, I think. But ultimately, ultimately as well, what I want to what I want to kind of get at, because thus far, this is a very depressing podcast. It's a, it, you know, th- these, it's the great conundrum. It it makes you kind of go, what's the point in trying? What's the point in trying to be ethical? What's the point in? social justice what's the point in trying to improve things when merely existing as a member of the developed world requires me to have a parasitic relationship with between 60 and 70 people who I'll never meet that's the fact that's the actual fact a parasitic relationship with 60 incredibly poor people who have very low life expectancies and horrible lives that's the truth Well, yes, you can strive to try and be ethical. You can strive to try and find out if the products you're buying, how ethical are they, how unethical are they. You can try and encourage yourself and other people to, I don't know, live more frugally. But ultimately, the reason... It's not futile to try and improve the world in the little way that you can 
is that ultimately it comes down to a sense of personal meaning. That's why we do it. That's why... Like, the thing is with this podcast... Yes, it's shocking to find out, to hear all this shit, right? Yes, it is shocking. But let's be honest. It's not really. It's not really. We've all grown up with images of Africa on the television. Images of Bangladesh. We know that there is this other part of the world with unbelievable poverty and we have been conditioned from a young age by the media to not really give a fuck. That's what we've been conditioned. So it's not really that shocking to find this out. We know it. It's just not nice when the mirror is held right up and you go, no, that's the reality. So support fair trade products. Do decent research educate other people but absolutely take a sense you can take a sense of personal meaning for the quality of your own life knowing that at least you're trying do you get me and I'm not on a fucking high horse with this shit too I've blood all over my hands you know the very Jesus recording this podcast putting it out through the channels that I'm putting it out on. We're all complicit in this. I don't know how to avoid it. So I'm not on any high horse or I'm not judging anyone. We are all equally complicit in this system. And I think it's no harm too for us to acknowledge every single day, acknowledge that you, we exist as enhanced human beings. We exist as human beings who have special privileged access to enhancements that allow us to live long, healthy lives and that these enhancements exist off the back of a parasitic relationship. And I think to be reminding ourselves of that every day, it's the type of... It's the type of humbling thought that will at the very least, inspire us each individually to try and be some type of change as best we can. Do you get me? Fucking hell. Anyway, I I did not uh, plan for the podcast to be this grim. It, uh... How the fuck did I even arrive at this? I was talking about helping a pair of cats and uh, trying to find personal meaning in the fact that I was doing something good for another creature, but then reflecting on the fact that even by being sound to a pair of cats, my actions of that day required 60 slaves. Fucking hell. So, it's time for the ocarina pause. 50 minutes in for a fucking ocarina pause. Alright, I have managed to... The ocarina was stuck to the bottom of my chair. It's not anymore, I have it in my hand. This is the bit where an advert may play, it may not play, but I'm going to play for you, my delicious ocarina. Hold up, what was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labelling my emotions, identifying my emotions. I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime, for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindby today to get 10% off your first month. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash blind boy. Um, support for this podcast comes for you. You, the listener, are the patron of this podcast via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. If you like this podcast, if you like what I'm doing, and you would like to be a patron. Um, essentially, it's a free podcast. Do you like it enough that if you met me in real life, you'd buy me a cup of coffee or a pint? Oh, there's the ocarina on the ground. Look, if you'd like to give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash the blind buy podcast. You don't have to. Everyone gets the exact same podcast. Some people like to become patrons, some people don't. If you do become a patron, there's other people who'd like to become patrons, but they just don't have the price of a pint a month. When you become a patron, you pay for that person to listen. It's a kind of a, a, a fair model, I find. So anyway, I will now answer a couple of your questions and then fuck off. David McNaboo asks... What is your opinion on Banksy? Um, Banksy is interesting. Banksy is, if you don't know, he's that artist that does... He'd be most famous for stencil art. Banksy's interesting. When Banksy first started producing art, like his public art, in the 90s, it was really cutting edge and relevant because it was being made at a time when social media wasn't really a thing. So... The whole thing about art is that, you know, scarcity can make it valuable. So if Banksy put up 
kind of an artwork on the side of a building in London. You know, a journalist might take photographs of it, it might make it onto the paper, and its lifespan would exist longer, it would become a conversational point. But social media has completely devalued what Banksy does. Banksy essentially was just making memes before memes were a thing. And the where Banksy kind of, I don't want to say falls down, his work is very binary. It's... It, it kind of, when you see his work, he, he operates on, he uses the language of advertising. He, he started off using the language of advertising to use public spaces where adver- advertisements should be to subversively question reality and inequality. Like the subject of this podcast, you know, sweatshops, slavery, stuff like that. Banksy would make work that would try and highlight that in a space where advertising should exist. And he would do it in a very simple binary way where you'd look at a Banksy work and you'd go, ah, fuck, that's clever. And then you'd walk away from it and it'd make you think. But there's not many layers of meaning behind a lot of Banksy work. It's immediate, it's effective, and it uses the subversive language of advertising to communicate. But the problem with that is there's been so many Banksy rip-offs in the form of memes, internet-only memes, that this continued and repeated copying of his style has devalued the original work. So now, context has changed so much that Banksy itself has become kind of, his work is a little bit cringy now. And it's not the fault of the work, it's just that culture has moved on. We've moved on now to deeper levels of irony, to post, post-ironic post stuff. And he his irony is very binary. And it no longer operates effectively in the cultural context of now. So there's a bang of cringe off it. But it's not really his fault. Someone asks, what do you think of Americans? Look, Americans are just human beings, same as, uh, same as myself. Uh, The one thing I find strange about America is that America is unquestionably, like this developed world business that I was talking about for the majority of this podcast, the foundations of this developed world were set up by the old empires of Europe, but that power was handed over to America. So America is the leader of the developed world. America sets the tone for kind of values and certainly culture we look towards America for leadership whether we like it or not cultural leadership and what I find so ironic about that is that even though America sets the cultural tone when I'm in America I've never experienced such intense culture shock it's I don't understand the relationship with guns. I have no frame of reference for the gun thing. The levels of poverty and inequality are are utterly shocking. Um, America itself is a culture shock. And I just find it strange considering that it's the main exporter of culture. Alright, that was the last question. Um, Go and have an enjoyable week. I hope I didn't... Hope I didn't bring you down with the theme of this week's podcast, but 
you have to analyze and look at these things you have to question these things yeah you, you know here's the thing these are very dark very dark themes i'll tell you why this podcast was so dark this week and why it made me uncomfortable is because i'm i'm reading out a very long list of complaints a very long list of very serious complaints and ultimately i have no fucking solution you know i mean the best i can do is to say that even though there is massive inequality and all of this you can still find personal meaning i think that's fair enough okay like suffering and pain th- these are inevitable parts of the human experience we don't have to be self-flagellating. Even though there is so much pain and inequality in the world, that doesn't mean that we have to shamefully self-flagellate or that we should not have a reasonable quality of existence. It doesn't mean that we should stick our head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist, but put it this way, how can you or I be any good uh, or if, how can we be effective in trying to enact change if all we're doing is wa- wallowing in a pitiful self-flagellation? Every one of us is entitled to happiness. That, that, that is a, an entitlement, I believe, to have happiness and a quality of life and a sense of meaning, to simply exist even though everything around you might be on fire but if you're not having if you don't have a sense of meaning a sense of purpose and a sense of personal happiness then you you can't even begin to try and put the fire out is what i'm saying it's pointless w- wallowing in a guilt or a shame or self-flagellating it doesn't improve the source of that pain one bit it's just an unhealthy level of guilt. So find your personal meaning. Find your happiness. Despite the pain and inevitable suffering of the world. And once you find that peace and happiness. Then you can effectively see what you can do in your own life. To try and live more ethically. Or with more equality. Okay. But just this idea that uh, the world is terrible and must be sad. Says who? Who made up that rule? Do you know? That it doesn't have to be like that either. All right. God bless. Go fuck yourselves. Have a have an have an enjoyable week. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.